Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the mic, starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik. Today it is my distinct pleasure and a privilege to welcome Charles Dobbins, the multifamily attorney. Uh, his whole mission in life is to help investors uh, buy multifamily uh, projects. And uh, hi, hi, Charles. Hello, Michael. How are you? I like to help them buy it the right way because I've done it all the I've done it all the other ways. That, that's a great correction. Buy it the right way. Absolutely makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about you. W where is your practice? A um, couple of sure. words about Charles. Where do you live, your family? Yeah, so I live in the, uh, I'm, I'm kind of got one foot in Massachusetts, one foot in New Hampshire. It depends, as I, I jokingly say, I jokingly say, it depends on who's asking me. If, it, if you're from the IRS, I'm, I live in New Hampshire, which I technically do. I have uh, my, my, I have a place up here that I'm here. My office is in New Hampshire. I'm down in the Boston area. Um, but my whole entire law practice is really to help people buy apartments the right way. When I was, you know, acquiring all of my assets, um, you know, just before the last crash, uh, things were going great. And, you know, you couldn't help but make money back then. And then when the market crashed, you know, things started to hit the fan and it hit the fan for a lot of my, my friends. Um, you know, because when you're in this business, the, the beautiful thing about the multifamily business is all multifamily vendor, investors are friends of yours. It's not like... Not like the old days when I was in the insurance business and it was all backstabbing, cutthroat, conniving. In the multifamily business, it's a great group of people. And so a lot of them, you know, they were losing their properties and they uh, needed some help. They needed some someone to represent them. And so that's when I started to help multifamily investors. Um, and, and at that time, there really wasn't much I could do as an attorney. Uh, yeah, I could just hold their hand through the process. It was a foregone conclusion. The, the market had crashed. The, the properties were going back to banks. And my job was to protect them, uh, you know, either from you know, personal uh, recourse issues or, or, uh, or any other type of issues. And then I realized that my services are best laid as helping the investors before they get into these problems. And I, you know, because I had been involved in so many different transactions and, and learned the right way and the wrong way to do these things, I thought, after it happens, there's not much I can do for you. But before it happens, I can, I can walk you through the whole entire minefield and make sure that you're protected and you do everything the right way. And that's when I started uh, what, I, what is my, my coaching consulting program uh, called the Owner Forum. And that's where, uh, you know, I tell you, it is just done unbelievably well I, I, I it's, and it's my passion I wake up in the morning I go can't wait to get started helping people you know checking their emails it's a blast I love it thank you for that great overview yeah, yeah I love your passion <laughs> different people have different uh, passions and, and uh, I certainly appreciate uh, passion to uh, real estate investing and you have a, a very focused passion multifamily investing yeah yep. yeah so it, it makes a lot of sense I, I wake up and, and I, I you know this is what I think about. This is what I, I, I enjoy. Yeah. To, to a lot of people, it's boring. But to professionals in the field, this, this, this is sort of exciting for us is to make the right investments. Um, but let I me ask it. you. 
Okay, I was just going to say that I, that I love it so much because it, it's so logical. And I think, you know, being in the uh, multifamily business or being a lawyer, you, you just like logic. You like rules. You like, and, and it just follows a pattern. And, you know, people ask me questions at my conferences, and, and I'll tell you something, Mike, I know all the answers. But it's not because I'm like wicked smart, as we say here in Boston, but it's because it's just logical. It just flows perfectly. It's a, it's a very step-by-step uh, -step business, and it's, it's, it's great. It's right up my alley. That's great to hear. Uh, I can't remember who said this. I, I, I want to say this was Mr. Spock from Star Trek. The logic is the beginning of wisdom. Actually, uh, you stole that from me. Got yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're with the original offer. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly prescribe to logic being a mathematician. So let's go back to the basics. Um, so what specifically do you help people do? So let's just take a one quick step back. When multifamily asset is acquired, there's a few kind of points of interaction between the, uh, say, the sponsor, the, 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 the owner of the property, and uh, other participants. So one is the banks. So legal documentation on the loans have to be well thought through, reviewed, make sure that they, they're such that in, things, in case things don't go well, the uh, non-recourse loan or, or other risks to the owner are, are, are minimal. And then on the other side, you got investors, actually uh, participants, LPs in the deal. Uh, so just talk a little bit about both sides. Uh, is there anything else that you get involved with um, on a multifamily acquisition? At that stage that you just described, my involvement is, is waning. Uh, you use me at the very beginning. I help you identify your market, uh, really understand your market. And most importantly, this is something that, that you know, most people gloss over, they don't understand is, for, for you to be successful, you've got to be an, an expert in your marketplace because when you sit down with Big Mike and you're looking to raise money and Big Mike's got the checkbook, my, Big Mike is going to ask you some tough questions about why did you choose this market? What's good about this market? And you had better be ready with your answers. So my involvement with my investors starts at the very beginning. Uh, if they, I want to be involved while they're looking at the deal, while they're analyzing the numbers, making sure that we're analyzing it correctly, I help them craft the letter of intent. No student of mine sends out a piece of paper until I've, been, I've had a chance to look at it. Because if you don't make the offer the right way at the beginning, that's going to haunt you all the way to the closing table. So you have to make sure that you do it correctly at the beginning. I take you through the purchase and sale stage. We use my contracts because, because they are, are, uh, have been written to protect you, the buyer. But, and, and what I always say is I'm a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer. I'm going to hire a lawyer. And the reason being is because my, my contracts are not valid in all 50 states. And so you need local counsel to take my contract and make sure it complies with local, local rules. And so I take you to purchase and sale. I take you through the due diligence. I help you with the financing. I help you raise the equity. I don't get out there and pitch it and raise it for you. I tell you, like, hey, go, uh, go check out. A, I, let me tell you something, Mike. I mean, this is for those people listening to this, you and I met when, when you were on my podcast. And when I read your, your bio, I thought to myself, wow, Mike has got a nice little niche here. He's, he's doing, he's coaching people like I'm coaching people on a, on a 
aspect of of the raise of of the investing process that just like I am, but his is at that you know at the at the money raising stage, being a coach to 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 start your own fund. That's fantastic. That is, I I, I saw that. And I thought to myself, wow, this is um, this is a nice little niche that really. Uh, happens and needs to, needs to needs to happen because I take students up to a certain level and then I can't help them anymore. I am not a securities attorney. I will not give securities uh, advice. Um, I pass that off to somebody else. And and my job is to make sure that you've done everything right to get you know turn it over to a guy like you to to help raise it. Uh, and you know that's where my process ends. Um, but then afterwards, you know, the transition to ownership, I own my own property management company, so I can help you through that whole process and, and setting your business up the correctly, correct way. The biggest thing, Michael, and you I'm, will agree with this a thousand percent, is that multifamily investing is not about real estate. It's about building a business that invests in multifamily property. You've got to build that business the right way and then that runs your life and, and, and provides you that lifestyle that you need. It's not about buying, oh, I just bought a property. Well, no, you, you own a business that now runs properties and that's the key is you've got to set it up the right way. That's, I teach people how to get to a thousand apartment units and the only way you do it is by running a business, not by buying property. That's right. That's that's a that's a great point, and, and I appreciate the insight and and uh, your um, your clarification that you're involved in, a, in effectively business uh, coaching. You 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 are helping folks uh, set up, um, I guess, a marketing uh, due diligence evaluation multifamily assets, and do it in a repeatable manner. So they're not looking for one asset, but more of a have a good. Uh, practice methodology, how to find opportunities, and then how to evaluate them, and ultimately take them to the process so they can um, close the deal. Right, because one of the things I always say is, if you do the first deal wrong, you'll never do another deal, and you're never going to get to a thousand units on one deal. You got to build the business the right way. So I protect you in the. As, and uh, the thing I also tell my students is, you're only going to need me for the first two deals. After that, we're just going to be friends. And that's exactly what happens. People stay in my program because of the resources, but you know they they take advantage of 150 other students of mine, and they all work together to get their deals done. It's a great group of people. It's a great tribe. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's uh, first of all, it, it's not easy to close first a multifamily deal. So the bottom line is, it gets easier. We funded, you know, as a fund manager, I, I fund a lot of the deals, and I know a number of folks who have evolved from. Uh, single family turning significant value of single families into multifamily investing, mm-hmm. and that transition is not easy. It's, it, that's that transition actually takes a lot of work, focus, obviously training and coaching, and um, uh, capital. Uh, one of the biggest complexities between multifamily and a um, single family uh, acquisition is is access to capital. It's a different type of capital, and uh, even presentation of a multifamily deal to investors versus a um, uh, anything else is a different, uh, different ball game, but uh, let's continue a little bit along uh, along the lines of um, so you 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 coach folks, you take them through the con. I love the concept of, of the right contract for sure. When you are acquiring an asset and you are entering into purchase and sale agreement, if you have a wrong agreement, most of the commercial deals have significant deposits. So if you have a wrong agreement and you don't perform. 
you could lose a sizable chunk of money. Yeah. So having a good uh, contract is critical. Um, so it, it helps you two ways, multiple ways. One is to further negotiate when you go find items to renegotiate. And all, kind, all, all projects have a ton of stuff to renegotiate. And then the second thing, if the asset's got too many problems, how do you, how do you bug out? Uh, so can you continue along the same line as you are putting these contracts together generally? What else do you help with? Uh, renegotiate the contract, bug out of the contract if, if, the, if the deal is not good. What else? Just give, give, give me some, some thoughts on the sure. subject. Uh, what are the critical benefits? Let me give you two examples of how you can blow it at the letter of intent stage if you don't know the process. Now, I there's nothing wrong with asking for seller financing. I mean, if, if you don't ask, you don't get. Go ahead and ask and see if the seller will contribute to your deal uh, or not. But what you don't do is you do not ask for a second mortgage. If you ask for a second mortgage, at the you know two weeks before the close, when the bank finally gets around to reading your purchase and sale contract, and they see that you've put in there a you know wording for a second mortgage, the bank comes back at you and says, "Hey, congratulations, we're going to be ready to close." But this thing about the five percent seller financing as a second mortgage, we don't allow second mortgages on our properties, and that's the case with Fannie Mae; they don't allow second mortgages. So all of a sudden, you wrote the contract back on day one accepted, the seller said yes to it, the two of you are have a meeting of the minds, and then you go through the whole entire process, you've gone past the financing contingency deadline, your earnest money is now unconditionally hard. You have to close or you lose the money. And two weeks before the bank shows up and says, hey, um, uh, little problem, you're gonna need another $100,000 at closing because you can't do it this way. And you're screwed. Now, you know, the number one rule I teach my students is always remain in control of the deal. Think about that. Two weeks before the closing, you get a phone call from the bank, says you need to come up with another $100,000 or fix this second mortgage issue. Who's in control of the deal now? You or the seller? The seller's in control. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. I know a number of uh, what I call them multifamily education gurus. So, yeah. like you, it's, it's, I don't know how else to put it. I'm an expert. I'm, I have a, according to the Massachusetts Bar Association, I, I'm holding myself out as an expert. So okay. You're an expert. Uh, yeah. I'm calling you a guru, but that's how it works. And I know a number of other gurus, uh, some lawyers, some are not. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, and I've been to some of their educational conferences and webinars, and it is not easy to get into multifamily. And whoever you are, if you are going into one of your first couple of deals and you had a very good point, once you pass two deals, you will learn enough to be able to stand on your own. But yeah. the first couple of deals are extremely hard and without hand holding, you will mess it up. It is a pretty high probability. So the general uh, concept is this. I don't know if you do this, but I know a number of folks who they, uh, what they do is they educate others and others find a deal and they bring them over and then they sort of partner with them on those deals. The reason they need the partnership is because they need the experience. It's like, why do you partner with somebody, if you think about it? And there are different types of partners. The one is experienced partner. The partner brings experience to do exactly what you're suggesting, to take it through the process so that they get into the right contract, they negotiate them the right way, they structure them the right way, so that there's no less minute surprises. Uh, experience is worth a lot of money. 
So that's that's one of the reasons to partner. Obviously, you can partner with other folks for capital. You can partner with other folks for credit worthiness and so on. But in your case, it's the experience of making sure the deal is structured the right way and delivered to the bank the right way and to the seller the right way. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, one of the, in my program, you know, the whole point behind the owner form is to remove the roadblocks that stand in your way. And I've identified four roadblocks that are in everyone's way. One of them is having a key principle to help you qualify for the mortgage. And I have plenty of people in my program who will sign on board with you to be your key principle so that you can qualify. And they, they, they do that because I have vetted the deal, you've worked through me, and they know uh, exactly how, how to make it, uh, make it run. So that is, that is absolutely one of the issues that, that we constantly deal with is making sure that you have everything you need. Now, let me tell you something else. because You mentioned the four-letter word of my business, partners. And I've had, you know, the worst deals I've ever had were because of bad partners. And so many of my students come to me and say, hey, I've met this guy and we want to do this. And they're like, I said, what do you have in writing? Well, nothing. We just met and we talked. I said, listen, okay, in my product library, all of my students have access to their membership portal. In there is a product of mine that I put together called the Memorandum of Understanding. And that is, they come to that, they watch a three-minute video of me telling them how to fill it out. They fill out the form. They book a time. This is what my students do this. They book a time to talk to me uh, about, um, you know, a half an hour call. Tell me what they're trying to accomplish with this memorandum of understanding. And then I draft the document for them. Because I, it, when they do that, when, you know, you're talking, all these people about, like, hey, I met this guy. When they, they put it down on paper and they actually have to start asking the tough questions. Well, what exactly are you going to do for what? That's when people start to realize, hmm, maybe this guy isn't the right partner. Maybe I don't need a partner for this. Maybe, you know, and then they come into it with such rose colored glasses because that one reason they lack confidence in their own abilities to do a particular aspect of this business. And they think that this other person is going to be the solution to that lack of confidence. Well, they've never vetted that person. They don't know what that guy's limitations are. That guy could have the same problems you do. Why would you want to give away, you know, that? And as I always say, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, is I tell my students, hoard your equity. Hoard your equity. Don't just give it away to 5% to this partner, 5% to that partner. That guy had better have a good reason why he's entitled to your kid's money. Yeah, yeah, very good point. I, I appreciate uh, the thoughts and um, certainly um, I agree with the statement, be careful who you partner with. If you partner with an idiot, you're stuck with an idiot. Uh, there's no... <laughs> There's no better way to put it, and uh, uh, it makes sense. Memorandum of understanding uh, clarifies uh, roles, responsibilities, and at least you, you know what you're looking for, and they, they know what their um, participation is, and, and that makes a ton of sense. So yeah. uh, I'm in agreement with you. Um, that makes, um, you know, it's a good business practice. It's a good common sense. Uh, and, and partnering with people you don't know is highly dangerous. Um, I worked with a partner, and this is a true story. This is absolutely the truth, and the, no judgment here whatsoever. The, the, the purpose why I'm telling you this story is just to show you how you never know somebody. Uh, I worked with this guy for six years, like on a daily basis. 
married, two kids. We had dinner with his wife, the whole thing. The partnership ended very, very badly. It was, it was probably one of the first worst disasters. I lost touch with this guy until for 10 years, until about uh, two months ago. And it turns out he is now living life as a, as a woman. He actually had the operation to have his, his, his uh, you know, appendages removed and he is now living life as a woman that got divorced, you know, the whole thing. And I worked with this guy for six years and I never suspected anything like that. I never, never, and he was a, a masculine guy. I just, and it just goes to show you, you just, you know, be careful who you partner with. Not only that has nothing to do with, with his, his choice in life, it has everything to do with, you just don't know. You just don't know. So you got to protect yourself every step of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Legal documents to protect, but more, more importantly, spend time uh, yeah. working with people. And you're right. You never know. Sometimes people change. Sometimes they, there is a uh, uh, hidden, uh, what are they called, um, demons inside of a person, right? And they, they live a life of a different person for long enough. And then one day they wake up and then they are not that person. Yeah, and the thing is, you and so listen. If you're listening to this podcast, here you know another story. My father-in-law was involved in a similar similar situation. His partner goes off to uh, you know some uh, you know riverboat cruise down the down the uh, you know the Grand Canyon. He comes back says, "I'm leaving. I, I want to be there. I'm I'm done." And he just moves out. So you can't control those things with partners, but you can protect yourself. Yeah, and with so, legal documents. That's yes. right. That, that makes a lot of sense. What happens if this should happen? You know, plan the divorce before you get married with a partnership. Yep, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's keep moving forward. So, not a uh, story. Anyone want to stick with that type of story? <laughs> He's taking your. I, I, uh, yeah, I gotta drink my tea. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, do, to, to cure a little bit of a, of a cough, so <laughs> I still have that. Uh, but let's stay focused on business. There's all kinds of interesting stories now. And I was going to crack a joke about the, the politics and elections in New Hampshire. Uh, oh, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Uh, listen, I voted up here. I voted up here on Tuesday. You voted in, in New Hampshire, right? Yes, I did. Uh, first thing they say, because they tell my accountant tells me that I have to vote in New Hampshire. Um, and I do. I live up here. So, um, but listen, I know how you are. There was no libertarian ballot okay there was a libertarian what didn't even have somebody on the ballot all right it wasn't like gary johnson or anything this time there was no nobody maybe in the national election in november but uh so you could have stayed home my in the, in the yeah it's uh i'm actually trying as much as i can i'll stay out of politics because it's so bitter and and uh unfortunately it's oh, okay. actually in some ways it's good for the country in some ways it's pretty bad for the country i have yeah. to say that it's good for uh the economy when the politicians get when it goes too much right or too much left it hurts the business mm. uh political stillmate is good for the business in general because nothing it is quo is good it's certain it's a certainty when there is um um let me put it this way the stock market likes status quo, especially today, for now, right? And it's it's obviously going to get very nervous if we have significant change, and the, the country moves uh, to a different president. Now, I, I I have to say that I'm trying to maintain neutrality here. My my, my libertarian view is such that I I don't want to. I certainly don't want socialistic. Uh, 
country. I ran away from socialist communist many years ago. And that whole thing, does, that system doesn't work, right? That, that is absolutely horrible. I would love to see you get in, in a debate with a Bernie bro about socialism. You know, there's a there's a YouTube video about just that happening at some a polling point where a guy from Russia moved out of there and, and he's and he's you know asked this this young kid who's, who wants to be a socialist says Do you have any idea what it means to be social? Do you know what it's like to live under a socialist regime? Like you have no idea. And it, and it was a fascinating discussion. Fascinating. Yeah, we have this discussion with my wife. My wife even fascinated uh, to a degree. How is it possible people like Bernie so much? It is amazing. Uh, how is this possible? In this country, people have so much admiration for a socialist, um, democratic socialist, okay? <laughs> Whatever that means, you know? I've had debates with my oldest daughter. Again, let's yeah. stick with it. She, she likes Bernie, and because the, most of the students like him, and it's free for everything. Unfortunately, yeah. they don't realize it doesn't work. Once you give all this stuff away for free, you have no money to, put, to, to pay for it. Yeah, and you if you're going to tax heavily, redistribute the, 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 the wealth, you're going to hurt the economy and, and um, empower bureaucrats, and it's going to be a corrupt environment. That's yeah. what socialism is. It's a corrupt environment in general. So yeah. anyway, uh, let's uh, continue to talk about multifamily. Sure. More important, take me through the process. Uh, when you have a student, you pre-coach them. They go identify a good asset. Now, this is an environment of um, high prices. The market has recovered significantly. And multifamily trades at pretty low cap rates. People are paying top prices. Yeah. So what kind of deals do you typically want your student to get into? What do you teach? Do you, do you talk about heavy value add deals? Do you talk about light value adds? Do you talk about core kind of performing properties? What is your general focus? What, what type of deals do you think are good opportunities today? Well, first thing you have to do is have to understand where the person is coming from. I always say like multifamily, owning multifamily property changes your life. And you've always got to ask yourself, how is owning this property going to change my life? And, you know, I jokingly say that life is too short. I have a bumper sticker on my car that says life is too short to own C-class property. And people laugh at that. And I said like, you know, but the fact of the matter is that I have a very a successful law practice. I don't own a tool belt. Uh, to do a, a huge value add takes a lot of time and effort, and I just don't have the time and effort to do it. So I can't be looking for that type of an asset. Now, I have one student who's, who's older than I am, and he made millions on C-class property. And every time I say that, is Charlie, you, you're saying the wrong thing. I said, listen, I, 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 I uh, preface it by saying, this is me. And it works for him. He goes out there and buys C-class rundown assets. He, he moves everybody out, rehabs everything, and moves everybody back in. That's how he does it. And it's worked wonderfully for him. So it really, you have to understand what is going to work for you as an investor. You have to understand that aspect before you get into it. Now, with the way that the market is right now, it is very strong, and I think it's solid. I think there are a lot of good factors. You and I talked about this before. I think there are a lot of good factors going on out there that is, it's going to continue this way. Um, you know, I don't see, we're, we're not going to have a correction like we had back in 2007, 2008. That was just stupid underwriting. It was stupid money. And we're not seeing that now. What we're seeing now is a, a huge demand for our product because of the changes in the social demographics. And I can, I'm going to, you know, big shifts ahead. Great book. 
I know the guy. I've, I've read the book. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. It's what these guys have, have explained as the, the shifting demographic trends and how it's impacting what we do. Uh, you know, that's the type of thing you need to understand when you're looking at this, at this business. Um, so as a result of that, we have to look at the not primary markets are just stupid money right now. Uh, secondary and tertiary markets are where the deals are starting to be seen and where you're starting to be able to find some of those value add propositions that you can really make money at because those are where, where the mom and pops who own properties for 20 years and now they're starting to get out. That's where you can start driving the uh, driving the revenue and driving the NOI and, and getting the force appreciation that you're looking for in this business. So you're not going to find you got to you got to search harder for the deals now than you could before, but they still exist and they will continue to exist. Yeah, great commentary. Um, I, I happen to agree. C-class properties um, take a very experienced and capable sponsor, and yeah. we have investments in some of these projects. And the only reason they're successful is because the sponsor has um, a massive crew and a yeah. capability and experience of doing these projects again and again. Yep. It's a very heavy lift, and majority of the people can't get in. So entry-level investors should stay out of super heavy lift because it's the capacity to do the innovations. It's the ability to solve problems and the violations and all those issues. Sometimes experience sponsors falter on these heavy value adds. So the entry-level, not experienced folks should probably avoid. Um, plus, it's obviously their own uh, kind of life experience and where they are, whether they want to get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're right. The, the Class A properties in metropolitan cities like New York, where I'm at, trade at ridiculously low cap rates. It's almost like, how can you get into these properties? Because they have a negative cash flow. If you consider the cap rate and the cost of mortgage, it's got a negative spread. So you effectively, every dollar of leverage, every dollar you borrow uh, is decreasing cash flow, not, not increasing it. It's a negative yeah. leverage. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, but it's appreciation play. It's just the only way people invest in these markets is they continue to appreciate for whatever reason. Uh, it's a greatest fool theory. But if you go into the Midwest and other Southeast and some other markets where there's still decent cash flow, and you can execute in the value strategy. I happen to agree there's some pretty good opportunities. We just invested um, in Pensacola, Florida. And uh, it's one of these markets that has pretty good cash flow from day one. And, and if it's a little bit aged asset, then you can renovate units as, as people move out. You can increase uh, rents and you can increase cash flow. Yeah. So that's a pretty standard play, but you got to find the right market and the right assets and, and be able to execute the plan. So. Yeah. I mean, because it sounds though, you know, what you did in Pensacola, everything is going to work because the demand for your product still remains strong. And it's, people are just going to keep, you know, I'm, I'm looking here in Southern New Hampshire to start building because the demand for multifamily units are so high that, that there's a waiting list. I mean, it, I want to say the occupancy is like 103%. It can't be 103%, but my point is there's a wait. As soon as somebody moves out, boom, there's somebody moving in right away. Uh, it's crazy with the with the demand, and there's just no one building. So uh, right, that- right. So my comment on this is, I mean, we're seeing this in New York City. Uh, the, the the most common thing to do for developers they build condos and sell condos, but the market is getting saturated in condos. So what seems to be happening, at least we've observed, is there's a just construction of new multifamily. Instead yeah. of trying to build condos, they build multifamily, and uh, 
the demand for housing here exceeds the supply, and that, that's actually a good environment for new construction. Exactly. And the thing that, that we're finding out is that, uh, like I went to that Marcus Millichap conference a couple of months ago, and they said in the Boston marketplace, over the next five years, the, uh, the occupancy for the vacancy for class A is going to drop by about 5% because there's building so many class A uh, units and you're going to start to run out of those class A customers who can continue to afford to pay $2,500 a month for a one bedroom. Uh, but as far as a workforce housing goes, you're seeing that their occupancy level is going to remain close to 100% for the next five years in workforce housing. And in new construction, just so you understand this, they call workforce housing in new construction C-class property. Well, you know, as an owner-operator, you know, we it's call It's not it, accurate, right, right. Yeah. It's an affordable level. It's, it's, by the way, that's one asset class across the country that's still yeah. doing very well is affordable. Affordable doesn't mean low rent. It just means working class, like you mentioned. No amenities. People need, people need to live somewhere. Yep, exactly. I mean, you, if, you, if you drive around my marketplace, you can see these properties built in the 1970s, three-story, pitched roof, brick, they're all over the place. And that was what was being built back then. And now we need to have another rebirth of that type of, uh, of you know, entrepreneurial spirit, so to speak, and build those workforce housings, housing properties. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, this is what most developers are doing, not just multifamily, but just even new developments. It's the entry level, the least expensive, most affordable new construction that product continues to be strong everywhere around the country. Yeah. Yeah. The, the high-end stuff is what's, what's taken you know, some pressure. As you said, Class A. Developers do Class A because for a dollar investment, it feels like they get a better return. Yeah. But at some point, they run out of uh, demand. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's what, what I my, my class is like. If you drive the NOI by $1 on a four cap, you've made $25. Well, who wouldn't take that bet all day long? You know, and you do the same thing on a 10 cap, you've earned uh, uh, $12.50. So it's a, um, you know, it's a bigger, bigger spread. So what is it, $10? I can't remember the number now. But it's a, it's a multiple. It's a multiple of the... Uh, yeah. not, not anywhere near that four cap multiple. So, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, we are mostly out of time. So I greatly appreciate your wisdom. That was the fastest half hour, Mike. Wow. Time flies. Yes, yeah. it's fun. <laughs> we I go to another mastermind, and they have the expression, um, "Time flies, but you are the pilot." So yeah, that's so true. Uh, again, how would people find you if they wanted to get a little bit of coaching, a little bit of help with multifamily? What's the best way to find you? Please mention your website, uh, your email. How, how would people get a hold of you? You can get multifamily, www.multifamilyinvestingacademy.com or I am the multifamilyattorney.com. It takes you to the same place. Uh, info at Multifamily Investing Academy. And I just, Mike, I, I just, I have the contract right here. I'm about to sign it for our two-day event down in Orlando, uh, Florida, which will be uh, May 16th and 17th. Uh, and they can find out more information on the website. And this is, I'm now, I used to do one day events all around the country and now I'm doing a, a full complete two day uh, with, uh, you know, VIPs and owner forum members are coming. Uh, it's going to be a great, great session. I'm really going to, uh, you know, one day just, I, I, I scratch the surface. Two days, I'm going to go deep into, uh, you know, my, my philosophy on buying a multifamily property. 
Charles, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your wisdom. Appreciate it. And um, appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, hopefully, we'll do it again. Yeah, that'll be fun. I look forward to it. Likewise. Thank you kindly and have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.